Right now on Amplified, the Engineers Journal podcast, we're about to learn just how important innovation is for success. Irish engineers would go to sites and we'd figure out how to get the job done. We wouldn't stand behind, well, this has never been done before. It needs to go back to the product unit, needs to be considered for another three months. Ireland has always had that little bit of a scrappier edge to us, as well as, um, as, well as delivering quality. Hello there, my name is Dusty Rhodes and you're very welcome to Amplified, the Engineers Journal podcast. Irish engineers are having a fantastic impact across the globe, but are we nimble and innovative enough to take on the internationals? Could a lack of sustainability credentials put us out of business? And why is engineering so fundamental to Ireland's future? Our guest today is one of the country's most prestigious engineers, who works tirelessly to promote Irish enterprise on the international stage and is about to give us some great insight. I'm delighted to be joined today by a fellow of Engineers Ireland and the current Chief Executive Officer of Enterprise Ireland, Leo Clancy. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Justy. It's a pleasure to be here. So listen, you're an engineer at heart, Leo, and a fellow of Engineers Ireland. Tell us a little bit how, about your career in engineering. I came to engineering accidentally, actually, which is interesting because my the the only reason I picked it, I wanted to be a vet, but uh, the leaving cert points were never going to get me there. So the next best choice was what my two cousins had done, which was electronic engineering, which I knew nothing about, uh, but went for it, came to love it. Uh, really enjoyed it, and it was it was that discipline of learning about something and problem solving that I really appreciate about engineering, and I think it gives you a great grounding. Uh, like I've been a manager effectively now for twenty years in one form or another, but uh, you never lose that engineering mindset in terms of how you approach problems. I think it really stands for people. Tell me, how did all of this engineering work then lead you to working with Enterprise Ireland? I was working with Ericsson uh, up to 2008 and during the summer of 2008, I, we probably had a family choice to make about where we're going to be. I, I ended up resigning from my 13-year career with Ericsson on the day Lehman Brothers collapsed in 2008 to join a loss-making telecom startup called Enet. It turned into one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. I joined a service delivery director, took on engineering, so effectively CTO role at Enet. Did that job for four and a half years, and it was an amazing trajectory. We grew the business, we made it profitable, and then the business was in the process of being sold. And I met an old boss of mine who said that the IDA was looking for a head of ICT. Mm-hmm. This is about marketing. This is about helping attract the biggest ICT companies to Ireland. So that sounds a bit more interesting. So I joined IDA uh, and spent eight years there leading the tech sector. My clients were Amazon, Intel, Facebook, Microsoft, Google. So that led me to an immensely interesting eight years, seeing that hyper growth of the tech sector. And then uh, it's always been my ambition to be CEO of a company, private or public. I, I would have said that we're for a person who's come from industry, there are two super interesting jobs in the public sector ecosystem, the CEO of IDA and the CEO of Enterprise Ireland. So this was the one that came up soonest. And does Enterprise Ireland still have that kind of like problem solving angle to your life, except on a much bigger national scale? Every day of the week. Yeah, we're an organization of over 800 people. We have a budget of around 400 million euros. We have 40 offices outside Ireland. So it's a, it's a big organization. 
but so involved in the tech ecosystem, funding university research, uh, funding companies at an early stage. We're an equity investor in nearly 2,000 companies, you know, just hugely interesting span, 4,000 clients across many sectors. So there's something to learn in every hour of every day. I kind of want to chat with you about opportunities abroad for engineering companies and how you would kind of look nationally and internationally at at things that engineers are always considering, like sustainability and and innovation in the future. But first, just to kind of give us a a, a bit of, because we all hear about the IDA, we all hear about Enterprise Ireland, but, you know, we don't pay as much attention to it as maybe you would like us to. And I apologise here now for that. Can you (laughs) explain to us? What is the IDA and what specifically really is Enterprise Ireland? What does it do? IDA is a sales and marketing machine at its heart. It's focused on bringing foreign direct investment to Ireland. Enterprise Ireland is much more complex. We, we are focused on Irish companies entirely. IDA is focused entirely on non-Irish companies. So our portfolio ranges from the very earliest founder who's thinking about starting a business who might want to do an entrepreneurship training course, all the way up to companies like Kerry Group and Icon, the clinical trials company and others who are very large global leaders in their field and every company in between. So we've got over 4,000 clients. One of the things that I have seen when you know we were looking at various videos and, and, and articles and reading up and, and investigating you, Leo, essentially, uh, one of the things that you said was that engineering is fundamental to the future of Irish enterprise. What do you mean by that? Why is engineering so key to Irish enterprise? Engineering is a fundamental uh, is a fundamental building block of any modern economy. You know, and and I think this will be increasingly true. So engineers build large parts of our world, and engineering has been a huge strength for Ireland in terms of how we succeed. So if I look at the industries that are growing fastest. In my world, it's construction actually is our, one of our single biggest growing export sectors. Companies that have engineered the semiconductor fabs, the pharma plants and the data centers in Ireland are now taking what they've learned in Ireland and they're going global and all around the world. A huge, huge growth rate in that area. Sustainability solutions was our fastest growing job sector last year. And again, depends on good engineers who can include, who can engineer software solutions, carbon monitoring solutions, put them into, into sites. And life sciences, really fast-growing sector. We have hundreds of innovative young life sciences companies that are growing very fast. Now, I think the scientific community probably wouldn't thank me for not including them also, in addition to engineers. But I think science and engineering capability is fundamental to the creation of new and defensible IP. If you want to succeed in a very competitive global market, you need to have products that are unique, defensible in global markets and give you a competitive edge. And I think for Ireland as a knowledge economy, we need to re-emphasize the importance of that engineering and science at the core of our industrial solutions. You say one of the quickest growing areas at the moment is construction uh, and construction internationally. How does construction work on an international basis? It works through... A number of strands. The primary ones are people making products, whether it's precast concrete or electrical monitoring systems and lots of products like that, you know, partition walls that are exported and go into construction products, you know, and, and they might have got their start with an Amazon in Ireland or with Intel or with um, or with Pfizer. And once those, co- once they've proven them, once companies have proven themselves selling products into those companies, the world is the oyster in terms of global supply chains. 
The other really fast growing one is people. So the people who built those projects in Ireland, we had a great announcement from HMV a few weeks ago where they were adding 700 jobs around the world, including 400 in Ireland, to serve global electrical and data center projects. And they're a mechanical and electrical contractor. Their core competence is the people that they provide to project manage and install electrical solutions in very large clients. So our people traveling out uh, on a contract basis to be part of a build project and people that they will hire locally if there's a pipeline of business that can keep going locally and complementing those two. So product and people exports are the two elements of it. And what is it about uh, like engineering here in Ireland that makes it so appealing abroad? I guess it done mentality. You know, if, I, if I summarize it, Irish, Irish companies and people are flexible. Uh, we know how to roll with things. Problem solving is at the core of how we think about things. And, and when I worked at Ericsson, this was also true. Irish engineers would go to sites and we'd figure out how to get the job done. We wouldn't stand behind, well, this has never been done before. It needs to go back to the product unit. It needs to be considered for another three months. Ireland has always had that little bit of a scrappier edge to us. And that shouldn't be confused with low quality because it's not. Irish people are good at analyzing the problem, working out what needs to be done, working out how to change the process in order to get it done, as well as um, as well as delivering quality. So I think we can do the two of those together. There are a lot of countries that are good at getting things done in a scrappy way and leave you with a mess. Uh, and that, you know, it's not uniformly cultural in any country, but uh, that's, uh, that can be true of certain areas. There are other places where the culture is that you follow a process regardless of the difficulty it causes. Ireland threads in between those two. We're able to change the process and maintain the quality. There's a thing that we have in Ireland that whenever we travel abroad, we automatically assume that people love us. You travel a lot and it's a lot to do with business and enterprise and everything. That surely is not the reality. What What is the real thoughts of foreigners when they look back at Ireland? I think they, they don't love us. They really love us, Dusty. What? <laughs> well, it's it's funny, you know. It is it is a privileged position to be in, but it's generally true, you know. I have travelled all over the world myself, and Ireland Ireland's an interesting country. First of all, we have a big global diaspora, so we we've been distributed around the world. We've had people go out and work in every part of the world, and we've never had a colonial history or past that would colour the perception of us in areas. So we are generally welcomed where we are, but. But then we're also good at getting on with people. You know, Irish people are good at uh, at understanding cultures, understanding difference, because we've had that diaspora. We've all known people who've travelled to far corners of the world and have to have had to make themselves accepted, and that has permeated its way back into us. We we're a nation of migrants, and we've had to be conscious of other cultures. We've had to we've depended on the kindness of others to help us succeed as individuals and help the nation succeed because we had a population that couldn't have been sustained. We, we were talking this week about the JFK 60th uh, celebrations. Population of Ireland in the 60s was 2.5 million. Population on the island in 1840 was 8 million, I believe. So the amount of people who left Ireland or died for the inability to, because of the inability to leave the country I, I think there is a there is a race memory of that in Irish people that makes us more culturally sensitive. I, th- I think you're right because it's something about you know uh, us Irish we have a, a serious thing for owning our own home. 
And I, I always thought that it goes back to the famine when nobody owned their own home. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's, it's that little protection thing that we have. Um, it's, but that's us Irish. As speaking of your international experience and, and working with other countries abroad, have you seen stuff in their cultures that you think we should take uh, uh, on board here in Ireland that would help us with our engineering? Interesting. I, I think we're mm. we're good when we go to places that are assimilating things that are good. If you go to somewhere like Israel or Netherlands to a lesser degree, you know, the level of directness that, uh, that is in those cultures is something we could probably benefit from at times. You know, I think sometimes Irish people can be a little bit circumspect and it is that balance of our niceness and and getting the job done. But I think Irish people are more direct than average. But there's little things like that that we, we could probably, we shouldn't probably lose what makes us strong, but uh, but we could, we could probably still learn some of that. If you look at a um, a society like Germany, you know, where the focus on and value on engineering is so strong and so pervasive. I think we certainly bring back more of that cultural respect for engineering, actually. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on Engineers Ireland podcast today. I actually think it's true that um, we need to value engineering more. We could, we could certainly learn uh, more about innovation in the way that the United States does it. You know, if we, we looked at comparative numbers this week in various economic reports and the level of innovation in the EU by companies, I think the stats are over 50% of US companies are investing in uh, innovation in some form and about only early 30s of European companies are investing in innovation. I think if we go back to the construction example that I mentioned earlier, We've companies who are top of their game on delivering construction projects. I'd like to see more of those companies actually innovating and creating their own products and services that are not the the product of the work of the people on a given project, but are new intellectual property based things that they understand the market will need in addition to the people effort that we bring. And I probably don't see enough of that uh, in our industry, in various parts of our industry. Some areas we are phenomenal. We have amazing startups and scale-up companies that have defensible IP. But I think if more of our services-oriented companies and people who deliver projects for people could start innovating their own products, that would be really interesting. And I think that's a very much a US culture in many ways. You're talking about innovation. Have you any kind of like particular example in the back of your mind that you're thinking of about somebody abroad that impressed you with innovation? Um, just trying to think of companies that are analogous to the example I gave. No, I, I'd nearly look locally uh, to some of the innovation being being done from the ground up by startups. So if you pick up an example, uh, James and XOcean, that will probably kill me. I, I keep mentioning XOcean. I don't know if you've come across them, but... They're a company in Carlingford. Uh, the typical way you do marine surveying is you put a big ship, a ship in the water with a crew of 10 plus people and it's diesel powered and you, you do the marine surveys and it costs a fortune to run and you do it on customer demand. James and his team at Exocean have developed a remote controlled ship that's about the size of an SUV, a little bit bigger, uh, that is largely electrically powered, which has diesel engine as well. It does surveys controlled by an operator from potentially their kitchen table in Carlingford or anywhere else in the world, uh, that these ships can be sent and deployed to do marine surveys around the world. So cost cost differential is huge. Uh, the environmental impact is much lower. You know, those are the kinds of solutions that are super interesting for me. I mean, the other the other big one, CombiLift, Martin McVicker and his team in Monaghan, which you probably are aware of, 
they built an incredible facility for um, with new innovative lift, uh, you know, forklift uh, products. There, there's some brilliant innovation going on in Ireland. Um, and I think it's not beyond the possibility for Irish companies in, in various domains who are already strong on services and delivering projects to start innovating solutions like that within their businesses. So it's kind of, from what I hear what you're saying, it's kind of services are great, but ideas are better. If you're kind of going to take that then, because innovation is is, is brilliant. From, from an engineer thinking of solving solutions and stuff like that, right? How do you get into that kind of innovation area? Because normally as an engineer, you're told there's a problem with this, we need to fix it. And you've got to, but with innovation, it's kind of, you're trying to fix a problem that doesn't exist. So what's, in your head, do you see the the thought process that people innovate with? Yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't agree that it's not a, uh, most the best innovation is problems that you understand deeply that do exist. So if you're if you're in a construction company and you're going to sites every day and you see that things are done in a certain way, and one of the most traditional industries is construction, for instance. So you're going to site every day and you see that. There, there's an itch you you want to scratch. Actually, working out how to start scratching that itch is probably the hardest part. You know, how do I how do I put someone on this? So instead of replicating this problem every time uh, and and charging my clients, could I have a better business model where I'm actually eliminating the inefficiency and charging for this the product that eliminates that inefficiency? That's an interesting one. That's hard to do in any business. It's the Kodak moment. You know. Kodak had the digital, famously had the digital camera patents and idea in the 80s, but they couldn't bring themselves to not depend on film. And I, I think we all, as engineers, need to be thinking about that Kodak moment for all, all of our businesses. Where do I see something that's a good business today that I may need to disrupt myself in initially in order to make myself stronger for the future? So let me follow that then uh, a little bit. If you are kind of looking at your business and you see something that's happening over and over again, you come up with a, a novel and interesting and a new way of tackling that problem and solving that problem. That's what we call innovation. But you kind of think, how am I going to turn this from an idea in my brain into reality? Because quite often it could be something quite big that you need help with. Is it at this stage that you approach Enterprise Ireland or should you do something else first before we start knocking on your door? As early as you like uh, and as early as possible, I would say. So if you look at, if you look at, and I have some examples in my head, I don't want to use them because I'm not sure at what stage they're at, but we have consultancy companies that have done a number of things. They've either come to us for, so one really simple thing we can do, if you have an idea and you don't have an engineer, if you don't have, let's say you're a construction company and you don't have a software person. You can go to a university, we can give you a 5,000 euro voucher to spend with the university to get a prototype built. And that's um, no cost to you, you own the IP, you just um, get the voucher from us, you get the work done, you get it delivered for you. You can go higher than that once you've done that, you can build that up into an innovation partnership where you can get up to six, 65% of the cost of a much larger project done. And this is before you have to commit any full-time permanent people beyond people who can interact with the university on the idea. If you think you can, you have people on staff who can do it, we can help you with an initial feasibility grant to actually explore that idea in detail. And they they be very substantial. So you can put a few people on this for a year or two 
So that that's the scale of where we can help early. Some companies I do see where they have a services business, they don't want to distract focus from the core, which is right in many cases. They spin out a company. So they'll create a new entity, which we can also get behind as a potential co-founder with equity or other other ways. So they're de-risking from the core, but they're also uh, giving a bit of headspace and potential to the people who are in that company and potentially giving some benefit to the people who go with that idea that they might have turned out of that new business in return for their effort. So there's any amount of ways. But Dusty, thank you for the question, because you said it effectively in your question. Come to us as soon as you have an idea. We really want to see innovation probed and, and explored by companies as early as possible. One of the things you think of as a company, because I mean, here we are, we are the home of the international firm and we're seeing headlines lately, like, you know, there was three internationals paid, uh, I can't remember, what was it, uh, um, one third of all corporation tax, three companies. It's, a, it's insane. Um, so they're huge. But then you're kind of an engineer listening to this and you kind of think, well, actually, I'm just part of a small little engineering company. Maybe we're involved in technology or something like that. Do you think that small emerging tech companies in Ireland are possibly in better shape than the big multinationals or in a better position to be able to innovate? I don't think it's as binary as that, actually. I, I think, but but yes, small companies can pivot their model a lot quicker. You know, that's uh, that's something that's certainly true. We see it everywhere that by the time you work your way up through the innovation process in a large company, a startup can have delivered a product to the market. You know, and that's just a fact of life. I worked in a very large company. I worked in a very small company. Uh, I went from a 100,000 person company to a 30 person company in 2008. And the difference is brilliant. And I, I think small companies often don't realize that superpower that they have. I think Large companies can eventually do whatever they want. We, we've been talking about this recently with ChatGPT and GPT-4 and large language models. Large companies own a huge amount of compute power, but they will take longer to come to market with solutions. You know, small companies, and um, we've seen this with OpenAI, can actually move faster. Where they will get stuck potentially is on the resource needed to scale up an idea. But depends on the domain you're in. If it's if it's large language models in AI, much harder to scale it up because there's a global scarcity of NVIDIA chips at the moment. So you're going to hit a barrier, not to mention the money required. But in most other domains, small companies can move fast. Uh, I think it, it can be a much bigger proportional bet, though. So just understanding what you're getting yourself into, planning for it, making sure that the financial model behind what you're setting out to do is clear. Those are important. And and again, that's where we can help. So we have people who can help flesh out an, an idea from a technical feasibility point of view, can also help you with the financial model, the cash flow analysis and things like that. So that's that's where we're keen to help more and more companies in the innovation journey. And now thinking about all this and, you know, kind of the agility of being a smaller company and being able to experiment with ideas. And then there's support from Enterprise Ireland. And you're thinking about not just doing it in this small little rock on the side of the Atlantic, uh, that there's a market of billions and billions out there. What kind of opportunities, from your point of view, are there in the world for Irish engineering companies? Huge opportunity. We're, uh, I'm, I'm getting asked all the time these days, do global conditions mean that we should be getting ready for retraction in exports and should we be worried about the prospects for Irish companies and what's globalization going to do for us? You know, I think I, I think those questions are useful to continue asking, but they're not relevant to where we're at at the moment. 
we have a huge market in front of us for Irish companies. Uh, and the optimism is huge. We survey our companies every year on their sentiment about the future of the market. Companies are telling us in the high 80s and early 90s of, of optimism about growing their international markets this year. And that's the survey we did earlier this year. And it's borne out to be true. If you look at the large globalization concerns that are out there and say, they are, they're relatively narrow, actually. We're seeing that, you know, things like semiconductor chip battles between large countries and other, other things around minerals generally don't affect Irish companies in, in a systemic way. There are companies that will be affected by chip shortages and by material shortages and other things, but we're not systemically dependent on or existentially exposed to some of the key geopolitical things that are going on. And I think we're in enough markets, actually, that we should be resilient to whatever might come in terms of financial shocks. So I'm really optimistic about the future. There's any amount of business out there to be done. We saw the signs in 2022, the US grew to $5 billion of exports from Irish companies for the first time. Eurozone exports grew by 28% this last year. Construction actually was the biggest contributor to that, grew by 50% in the Eurozone. And that is companies out building data centers where we know that there's a market fueled by including ChatGPT and other applications that will continue for another 10 years as a healthy market. There's markets in biopharma for vaccines. You know, I'm the markets we're in are resilient to uh, what may come in the financial markets, I think. You've mentioned ChatGPT a few times and AI, of course, is, is on everybody's mind. Um, where, where should Irish engineers be thinking with, for the future uh, with, with everything changing so, so fast? It depends on your domain, I would say. Hmm. Uh, I, I, digital is, is huge. And I, I think engineers need to be thinking about digital models for delivery of their products, even in highly traditional industries like construction. So natively digital business is going to grow substantially as well. So like the AI models and areas like that. So digital is huge. And even if you think digital isn't relevant to you, you should be thinking again, because digital can be delivered easily from Ireland to anywhere in the world, which is unlike a physical product. So even if you're in the physical product business, you could add a valuable revenue stream through digital. Uh, Digital is also incrementally the cost of a new digital product once you built one is zero. Hope you just punch another piece of software out. It doesn't cost you anything to do. So it's a high mar- margin model. Sustainability is the other one. So it's the other big secular trend at the moment. But it's right. I mean, there is going to be a revolution. Regardless of what happens with financial markets, we're going to see continued and vastly increasing investment in sustainability. So that is certainly something that every company should be looking at as an opportunity, but also as a threat. If if companies don't have sustainability plans and verifiable ones for their businesses, they will be out of business in three to five years' time. No one will buy from a company that doesn't have a good ESG plan and that can't verify their own sustainability credentials. It's only a matter of time. When you say verifying your uh, sustainability credentials, what kind of is this literally a certificate on the wall or, or, or what do you mean by that? That won't be good enough. So you can't just achieve a certificate and call it done. You've got to be able to, for instance, be in control of your scope one, two, and three emission levels. You've got to understand your supply chain in terms of where the products came from, what environmental impact they had, both on carbon and on even things like labor conditions, 
sources of the finance that you use to build your business and all the other aspects on environmental social governance you you've got to be able to prove through your supply chain that you are not negatively impacting your customers so the large customers of all of our irish companies will demand that they can show that they're not negatively affecting their own environmental stance and they will go deep if they haven't gone deep so far they will go deep in audit terms into your ESG credentials and will want to see evidence that you can stand over them. So cert on the wall is a nice start, but it's not going to get you there. Unfortunately, we can help with that. We have, for instance, a, a climate and sustainability voucher, which we can give companies two days consulting that's fully covered, uh, that helps have a first look at how you stand at this. So it's 1800 euros, just helps you take a good look at yourself we then have various stages of green um, transformation program that we can bring to bear for companies. So you can uh, get Green Start, uh, Green Plus, Green Transform, which helps you actually bring in consultants into your business and work with you through that entire chain, train your people. So that's an offer we have. It's undersubscribed, Dusty, at the moment. People aren't coming to us for this money. And it's either it's a high level of support, 100% covered at that all voucher level, Eighty uh, percent at the next level, fifty percent after that. So, and we're not seeing the demand for it. Well, then, let me ask you because everybody's talking about sustainability, but I don't think an awful lot of people really understand it. And you're saying that it's undersubscribed. Why is it undersubscribed? I think people are people are very busy, and I know that sounds like a terrible excuse. But we've had Brexit, we've had COVID nineteen, we've had the Ukraine crisis. We have more breaks of coming and we have globalization and supply chain shortages and shocks and inflation and pricing and all those things. So companies, like I have huge empathy and sympathy for SMEs in the middle of all that because most do not have a big superstructure of admin people who can take on loads of extra stuff. They're struggling to survive. So I think there's a real risk that this is being deprioritized because of time as well as understanding. And I, th- I think that's where we can help, though. We can we can help with some of that light touch consultancy that can come in and help with some of the explanations. But that's why I was so forceful, really, in my description of what will happen to people in their markets if we don't get this right, because this is an existential threat. You know, the day will come when you receive a tender that you won't be able to respond to that might be fundamental to the future of your business. And that that day is coming. It's like having a tax clearance cert. If you can't rustle one open in 24 hours, you're dead uh, kind of a way. So you need to have something along the, the same way with sustainability. So I get what you're saying in that it's a threat if you don't look after this. Well, then that's going to cause you big problems in, in the next two, three, five years. Uh, if you do look after it, it's opening up huge amount of opportunities. But what is the actual impact when we look at sustainability on an engineering uh, point of view or within an engineering um, business, what impact is that actually having in real world sustainability? Yeah, so depends. Uh, like for generally for businesses, um, if you have a sustainability plan, it'll make you better in terms of how you do your work. Never mind meeting your customers' expectations. It's generically a good thing to do that you would look at the emissions from your business that you, you know, generally leads you to efficiency, actually. You know, so if you have a good sustainability plan, it should improve and enhance your business. It shouldn't be a cost. You know, look at all the people who scrambled to put solar panels in in the last year when they were more expensive to procure and to deploy because the business case became immediately obvious when electricity prices went through the roof. That's 
That's but if they had done it sooner, it would have cost them less to do, and they would have had an, an immediate buffer against those electricity bills. It's hard to make the capital argument for them, though, unless thing unless things get very expensive. But I think taking those decisions earlier will will help buffer you because essentially sustainability is about reducing your consumption and improving circularity. Those are all things that actually reduce cost as well, ultimately in the long term. Now. The investability of them is a challenge and government's working on a number of measures around ensuring that there's more loan and grant capital available for businesses to invest in sustainability. So that's good. The other thing, though, is is that market piece that um, your customers will want to buy from companies that have high sustainability credentials. And that will increasingly be the case. So you will do better in your markets as well as being more efficient. And the way to do it, and this is where engineering is crucial, sustainability depends particularly if you're a product company you know the design cycle is so important when you when you're in engineering you sit down with a blank sheet we don't use drawing boards much anymore but you know sit down at your drawing board to design a product rather than just sketching out the most optimal engineering design with with whatever the the most efficient products are you now need to be asking yourself what the efficient what the sustainability credentials of those components are so you might put a component into your design that that is more the most efficient, but if it's made using questionable materials or questionable labor practices, or if it doesn't have a future sustainability plan itself, using that component is going to compromise you with your customers in the end. It's also going to compromise you potentially in terms of cost if it's not sustainable. So these are really good questions to ask generically, even if uh, even if they're hard ones to get your head around early on. And engineers are vital to this. The the design process and ensuring that you have a that you you have this thought out in advance is probably the fundamental one. I think that's kind of going back to a lot of what you have been saying. Is that you know you you take a small idea, and a small idea and or a small change somewhere like that can can grow, and it can grow through your business here in Ireland, and it can grow internationally, and is and it's good. Uh, can I ask you just a kind of about the future? Because engineers are very curious kind of people, like to look at the big picture. Um, you had said uh, that 2022 was it was a record year for Enterprise Ireland. Do you think we're going to be able to keep up that momentum over the next three, five years? What's the quote? I hate making predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I suppose just one clarification, and, and I always rush to clarify this, is 2022 was a record year for our clients. We don't have record years; our clients do, and uh, you know, and we're here to support and serve. So, so I, I think it's an absolute testament to Irish business that uh, that we've had that record year, and we had a record year in 21 as well on exports. So, Irish business performed so well during the pandemic. I'd be very optimistic about where we're going in the future. I think, notwithstanding what may happen in the global markets, I think we're going to see, continue to see growth in Irish business exports and growth in jobs. Another big thing uh, that's being talked about uh, at the moment is Impact 2030. It's the, the government's research and innovation strategy. Uh, how is that being implemented? I'm not very close to it in terms of the day-by-day implementation, but the ambition is very strong. And we're working very closely with our colleagues in Science Foundation Ireland in in uh, the higher education authority in the universities where we are a research funder as well not a lot of people know that enterprise ireland has a research and innovation team that is um 70 people has a has a very large budget and that we deploy it into more industry near type research applications than science foundation ireland so 
we are part of that and intrinsic part of it in respect of a lot of the things we do. So going well, I think there's lots of things uh, that we, we can continue to do better, but that's true in every research ecosystem in the world. I met colleagues from South Africa yesterday and we compared notes about the things we like about how we're doing and the things we don't like about how we're doing. But I, I think Ireland has a wonderful research ecosystem and I think it's something we can build on. For me, the priority is getting more industry, more engaged, more industry players, more engaged with academic institutions. That's that's the core of where I think we need to go to. And, and how would you see that then applying to engineering? Uh, engineering, many, a huge number of the projects that are done in the research ecosystem are done on behalf of engineering companies and our ed- projects themselves. So it's it's intrinsic to engineering. Uh, I think bringing out more university-based IP into how companies do their business um, is going to be a, a large part of that. But I think companies get it. Actually, I was speaking to an engineer yesterday morning. He was in the um, my old industry, actually, telecommunications, but he was he's an IP leader in a telecoms company. And he had a wonderful experience of having done his PhD, which was part funded by Enterprise Ireland funding way back in the day in the early noughties and was able to take some of that IP and create a spin-out company and and bring that into an industrial environment and create global products. And that's the path. You know, we have wonderful people and intellectual property in our universities. What we need to find is increasing ways to unlock that and, and follow that journey and get that IP out into the wild and creating value and profit for Irish companies. Finally, just from your own perspective, and kind of looking towards 2030, as I, as I just mentioned, it's a good number. It's what, um, seven years away? Seven years is a good number, isn't it? What vision do you have for this little country, Ireland Inc., in 2030? First of all, government has set out a white paper for enterprise. And if people haven't read it, I'd encourage them to do so. It, it was published last December. It's the government's vision for 2030, actually, in terms of, um, in many respects, So we have two or three key things, I'd say. First, I think we are aiming that we will have 50% more large Irish companies by that point than we have had last year. So, and that's that's ambition. Too many Irish companies scale to a certain point and then are sold to global players or, you know, otherwise leave our shores. We want to keep more of those companies Irish for longer and grow them to global scale. And I believe that's achievable. In seven years, 50% growth from, uh, we counted 104 last year to over 150 is a big jump, but I think the momentum is there if we can get behind it as Enterprise Ireland. The other big uh, target that we have for 2030 is 35% reduction in carbon emissions in respect of Irish enterprise. And that is going to be hugely challenging. 35% reduction in the context of a growing economy in particular, it's uh, 35% from the baseline that we would have had early this decade back down net of any growth that we see. So that's a that's a serious ambition, but we have to achieve it as part of the government's plan. So we'll be pushing very hard on that as well. So I think more skilled Irish companies and significantly reduced carbon emissions from Irish enterprise are probably the two that are top of mind. There's any amount of smaller ones. Leo Clancy, it's a uh... Huge pleasure and honour and brilliant to be able to see your point of view on the world, especially in relation to engineering and the amount of ideas and information and ways of looking at things that you've just given to us in this one podcast is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. 
Thanks, Justy, and thanks to the team at Engineers Ireland. It's a privilege to be here and I really appreciate the partnership and congratulate you all on the work you're doing. If you would like to find out more about Leo and some of the topics that we spoke about today, you'll find notes and link details in the show notes area on your podcast player right now. And of course, you'll find more information and exclusive advanced episodes of our Engineers Ireland Amplified podcast on our website at engineersireland.ie. Our podcast today was produced by dustpod.io for Engineers Ireland. If you'd like more episodes, do click the follow button on your podcast player to get access to all of our past and future shows automatically. Until then, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you for listening.